unfortunately, was not staged. That was fucking great. <laughs> oh so my real. god, dude! <laughs> this fucking box is here. Hold on, I'm gonna go pee outside and I'll be back. <laughs> You're listening to The Florida Man Murders, a true crime comedy podcast about murder, madness, mayhem, and other shady shit that goes down in the Sunshine State. Each week, your hosts, Chris, Roger, and Siege, take you on a dark, twisted journey through the bowels of the most wretched fiends and nefarious events throughout the history of Florida. And then make inane, quote-unquote, funny observations about it all, like the half-soused nitwits that they are. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the crazy, if you dare. Everglades, Florida, 1920 to 1924. John Hopkins Ashley was born on March 19th, sometime between 1988 and 1895. What? Wait. Hold on a second. Wait. Wait a second. Use your jump, I understand. But that's what that's what uh, the research says. Uh, nineteen eighty did he say nineteen eighty eight or am I crazy? In eighteen ninety five. Okay. All right. Tom, right. that's a seven year window to be born. <laughs> he was born sometime between then. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was born and raised in the backwaters of the Caloosahatchee River. There are two O's. His father, Joe Ashley, was a woodsman. He made his living by fishing, hunting, and uh, hunting gators and trapping otters. He also had nine children with his wife. Nine children. <laughs> no condoms back then. Just <laughs> a lot of fucking happened between eighteen eighty eight and eighteen ninety five. Those were my prime fucking years. <laughs> uh, John John Ashley was a middle child of nine. Joe bounced around from job to job. He moved the family to Pompano, where he and his elder sons got a job working the Henry Flagler Railroad. He then moved moved the family to West Palm Beach, where he served as a town sheriff for some time. Ah, here we go. Back to the Palm Beach (laughs) County Sheriff's. Meanwhile, little John Ashley spent most of his time out in the Everglades, and learned to become an expert trapper and gator hunter like his father before him. In December of 1911, John met a seminal trapper named DeSoto Tiger. The two became trapping partners. Tiger was an exceptional trapper. On one particular day, he trapped and skinned 90 otters. That's good trapping. The next day... Damn. (laughs) The next day... Tiger vanished. Fuck. On December 29th, 1911, a dredging crew working near Lake Okeechobee discovered the Tiger's body in the water. He had been shot in the back. 
The last person that had been seen with Tiger was John Ashley. The pair had been spotted by locals traveling in a canoe with a shit ton of otter hides. So John Ashley ran out of town and headed down to Miami. Tiger's uncle led a group of Seminoles and followed John down to Miami, but had no luck finding him there. The Seminoles did discover, however, a hide dealer and questioned him about John. And the dealer told him that John had sold him the 90 otter hides. He paid John $1,200 for them. And after selling the hides, John Ashley went back home to West Palm Beach. So he obviously killed the Indian and took his hides. Yeah. Killed him, stole his shit, sold it. So 90, 90 hides, 1200 bucks. I mean, think about when that was, too, man. That's expensive. Yeah. So back in uh, West Palm Beach, the county commissioners voted to offer a reward for the apprehension of Tiger's murder. They agreed to the <laughs> amount of $150. A few days after he had returned to West Palm Beach, John was arrested on a charge of recklessly displaying firearms. But by the time the info about him being the suspect for Tiger's death got to them, he had already been released. But once upon a time in Florida, you can get arrested for just showing your guns. Yeah. <laughs> once upon a time in Florida. Imagine doing that today. 1911. Aren't they, aren't they trying to make it so you can just walk around without a license and just out? Like you can like literally carry it with your finger on the trigger if you yep. want to. It's like the Old West. Cool. One day, two deputies, S.A. Barfield and Bob Hannon, went looking for John. They found him camping in Palmetto Thicket in the swamp. The two deputies went in to arrest him, but were ambushed by John's brother, Bobby. Bobby Ashley disarmed the deputies at gunpoint, and instead of having them killed, John set the deputies free with a message to take back to their boss, Sheriff George B. Baker. The message was, quote, Tell them not to send any more chicken-hearted men with rifles, or they're apt to get hurt. This is John under the stars tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's a throwback to our Danny Rowling episode. Sorry, yeah, please, please listen to the Danny Rowling episode. Thank you. This became John Ashley's most famous quote. It also launched a years-long feud with Sheriff Baker. John Ashley escaped to New Orleans and went spent some time in Seattle as well. He was a logger in Seattle for a little while. See? Nice. That, that excites you? Um, yes. I love logs. <laughs> he would be away from Florida for about two years. When the Seminole Nation saw that not much was being done to capture John Ashley, they began to protest, and this forced the federal government to get involved. With cops everywhere looking for him, John decided it might be best if he gave himself up. He figured he could get a sympathetic West Palm jury, so he went back to West Palm Beach and turned himself in. What gave him that idea? (laughs) (laughs) But the prosecutor petitioned the judge to change the venue of the trial to Miami, and the judge agreed. On the night before the trial was set to begin, Sheriff Baker's son, Robert, was escorting John to his cell. John, for some reason, was not handcuffed. As the two men walked toward the cell, John stopped, spun around, and took off running. He went full sprint into the yard. Then he scaled the ten-foot fence, jumped to the other side, and ran into the swamp. What happens when you're raised in the Caloosahatchee? (laughs) So now a fugitive and an outlaw, John Ashley's name started to become well-known to Floridians everywhere. 
papers started calling him Swamp Bandit. <laughs> At this, he decided to form his own gang with his brothers Bobby, Billy, Eddie, and Frank, as well as other criminal wannabes that they knew. And together, they formed the Ashley Gang. I felt like Swamp Boys was like, Right there. (laughs) It was right right there. (laughs) Because he knew the swamp so well and made it his hideout and home, and because he was growing more and more infamous, John was no longer called the Swamp Bandit. Instead, he was bestowed the nickname the King of the Everglades. Wow. (laughs) A lot of quick self-aggrandizing happening, like other people were (laughs) aggrandizing him. This happens very quickly. Yeah. So John started to attract a lot of attention. He began a relationship with a woman bootlegger named Laura Up the Grove. That's Laura Up the Grove. <laughs> Laura Up the Grove. No jokes there. <laughs> Laura was tall, tough, and carried a thirty-eight with her at all times. Laura was not only John's lover, but she became his partner as well. She didn't participate in any of the robberies, though. Instead, she served mainly as the gang lookout. She'd watch for cops who might be getting near the area where the gang was camped out, and she would flash the lights on her car as a signal to them to run and hide. A woman had a car back then? Wow. Mm-hmm. I like that she's just not allowed to be part of the robberies. You could play lookout, though. She's, she's big and tough and carries a gun and has a car, and you have to sit over there. <laughs> a lot of sassy. Say, boys. Say, boys. The fuzz are coming. (laughs) She and John were married, and Laura would go on to be called the Queen of the Everglades. Oh, how fitting. Soon, other mid-level gangsters began moving down to Florida to join up with the Ashley Gang, including a Chicago gangster named Kid Lowe. Kid Lowe. Kid had worked the rackets in Chicago under an up-and-coming gangster named Al Capone. Never heard of him. (laughs) Now, with the Ashley gang fully formed, they decided it was time to start moving away from small-time mom-and-pop store holdups to taking down big-time scores. Quick question. Are they working through the summertime there, or are they vacationing during that time? Because it's real rainy. (laughs) It's very swampy. Very swampy, yeah. They live in the swamp. Yeah. Oh, that's true. must have smelled mm. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how you hold up a store is with that fucking stink, man. I just kept thinking like from probably like April, May to September. Yeah. It's a little thick down there. It gets pretty gamey. Yeah. So at first they fashioned their gang after Jesse James and his legendary gang of outlaws. James' gang was famous for stopping and holding up passenger trains in the middle of their routes. So, the Ashley gang decided they would try that. They made plans to hit their first target, a Florida East Coast Railway passenger train. The heist didn't go very well. Like most trains, this one carried passengers as well as packages and mail. The gang placed planks of wood on the tracks, just like the James' gang would do forcing the train to stop. They then pulled, off, pulled out their guns and ran toward the train. One half of the gang would hit the passenger car, and the other would hit the mail car. 
We had planned everything except for who would be hitting which train car. Oh, my God. The entire gang ran onto the passenger car <laughs> and then began to argue about who would rob what. What are you doing here? I thought you were raiding the mail car. Fucking idiots. I, I, you were supposed, supposed to be in the mail car. Nah, it's supposed to be the passenger. Is this your first <laughs> time robbing a train or what? <laughs> yeah, in fact, it is, goddammit. <laughs> Who's it's so, can I take this mask off? It's so damn hot. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Um, they even argued about who would rob the passengers of their money and who would rob them of their jewelry. Oh, my God. As the men bickered with each other in front of everyone, a woman passenger screamed out in panic. This freaked the gang members out, and they each hopped off the train and scampered back into the swamp without ever taking anyone's money or valuables. Amazing. <laughs> so they basically just stopped the train for nothing. It's awesome. Like, oh, shit, run! And they just fucking took off. <laughs> All it took was one woman, like, shrieking, and they were like, oh, whoop, gotta go. <laughs> ah, doo-doo. The gang regrouped at their hideout in the swamp and bickered over the failed heist. At the meeting, Kid Lowe suggested that robbing Banks was probably the safer way to go. Banks don't move, they're not as complicated, and you know the money's there. So they all agreed, no more train robberies. Banks only from now on. So, three weeks later, the gang cased the bank in Stewart, Florida. They decided to hit the bank in the middle of the afternoon. On the day of the robbery, the gang ran into the bank, waving their guns in the air, shouting at the tellers that this was a robbery. The gang ran out of the bank with cash and tow. The plan was to steal a car and drive away, abandon oh it, and then run into the swamp. <laughs> so it's like they didn't even have a getaway car. The plan was to steal a car after they robbed the bank. So it's like they're standing yeah. there on the fucking street corner yeah. like, where's the car? We go to a used car dealership, we buy a car. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have enough money to buy a car. We had to fucking finance. They gave us 21.2% interest over six years. Who's got the best credit here? <laughs> We're going to need a cosigner. So there was only one problem with this plan, and it was a problem the gang only discovered at the moment they found a car to steal. Nobody could drive. No one can drive. <laughs> <laughs> no one in the gang knew how to drive. Man, these guys. You can't drive. <laughs> these are some fucking idiots. I remember Laura up the Grove had a, her own car, so she clearly could drive. She knew how to handle a gun, but she wasn't a allowed. A woman could drive? The, the woman was the only one with any fucking smarts. Yeah, and she wasn't allowed, she was allowed to allowed participate. To own a car. And she knew how to drive it. This is the future. Which way does the gun go when you point it at me? <laughs> <laughs> so John went back inside the bank and asked customers and tellers if anyone there knew how to drive a car. Oh, my God. Nobody stepped up. Like, everyone's like, who, Just, me? How is this not a Coen Brothers movie? <laughs> yeah, for real. Can we get the rights to this? <laughs> yeah. Outside the bank, the gang found a guy who could drive, and they forced him at gunpoint to be their getaway driver. The local police arrived just as the gang sped away from the bank, and a chase ensued. Kid Lowe sat in the front, while John, Bobby, and Eddie all sat in the back seat. With the cops hot in their tail, Kid decided to start firing his gun at them. 
But instead of sticking his head and arm out the window to shoot the cops, he decided to shoot directly through the rear window. Man, fucking geniuses, I tell you. During all the shooting, one of the bullets from Kid's gun hit the frame of the rear window. The bullet ricocheted back and hit John Ashley right in the jaw. <laughs> fucking the bullet, stupid. The bullet then went upwards inside his head, hitting him in his left eye. Good God. Ouchie. <laughs> back into the left. Magic bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the gang managed to elude the cops and made their way to their designated area by the Everglades. But because John was bleeding so badly from his face, they decided that it was probably not a good idea to take him in a swamp. So they brought John to a safe house to wait for a doctor. The police soon figured out John was holed up in the safe house and they broke in and arrested him. John was taken to a doctor to tend to his wounds, and he would eventually end up wearing an eye patch and then a glass eye. More glass eyes. <laughs> glass <laughs> eyes in the last two episodes. Back-to-back glass eyes episodes. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I know what Chris was searching. <laughs> Florida glass eye. Get an eye patch, man. John was taken to Miami to stand trial for Tiger's murder. But the state attorney believed that he had a better chance of prosecuting John for the Stewart bank robbery in West Palm Beach instead. Just like a state attorney from Miami and not (laughs) charging a former cop with murder. (laughs) With John in jail, Bobby took over as the gang's de facto leader and decided that he needed to break John free. So Bobby's plan was to get the jail keys from the deputy who lived right next to the jailhouse. (laughs) Wow. So Bobby got on his bicycle. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, uh, Bobby, stop. <laughs> Doing this again, buddy. <laughs> he rode to the home of Deputy Sheriff Wilbur W. Hendrickson. Bobby walked up to the door and knocked. And the deputy answered the door. Bobby asked, quote, are you Hendrickson? Hendrickson nodded. And before he could say anything, Bobby blasted him in the chest with a rifle. And you wonder why people don't open their doors here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bobby then grabbed the keys hanging on the wall. Oh, at least the keys were handy. That would have been my first question. Like, hey, where are the keys? (laughs) (laughs) They're right there. Uh, So Hendrickson's wife heard the gunshot and rushed in to see what was going on. And she saw her husband blown away on the floor. She began screaming. And Bobby got on his huffy. This freaked Bobby out. Much Man, like something about women screaming that they just run, they just scatter. <laughs> Fucking Ashley gang. Just any woman screaming before fucking fall to pieces. God, their mother must have been a terror to them. Mom screams one time. The kids, all nine of them, go scattering in different directions. (laughs) Three Stooges style. So in a panic, Bobby dropped the jailhouse keys and he ran out of the house. He abandoned the bicycle and decided to carjack someone instead. Because he doesn't know how to drive. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) But every time a car began to slow down and see what he wanted, 
It would immediately speed up again and drive away because they saw he was holding a rifle. Finally, Bobby was able to jump into the back of someone's pickup truck. A couple of miles over, however, the pickup began to stall out and was forced to the side of the road. A cop walking his beat, Officer John Riblet, spotted the truck and Bobby in the back of the truck with the rifle. Officer Riblet ordered Bobby to get down off the truck. Bobby refused to comply. He then fired his rifle at the cop. Riblet was shot up pretty badly, but as he went down, managed to fire back a few rounds at Bobby. Bobby was hit multiple times and died by the side of the road. Riblet would eventually succumb to his wounds, making him the first ever Miami police officer to be killed in the line of duty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, if only Bobby had jumped back on his bike, none of this would have happened. (laughs) (laughs) The death of the two officers angered Miami residents, and they were out for blood. A couple thousand people marched to the jailhouse and demanded that they bring John Ashley out of his cell so they could lynch him. They liked cops that much back then? (laughs) I guess so. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Listen, there were only white people and Native Americans here then, so. (laughs) All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's the only time (laughs) you lynch a white guy is when he kills cops. Instead of bringing out John Ashley, cops brought out Bobby's corpse and began parading it around. (laughs) Good God. Uh, this appeased the angry mob and they ended up dispersing. People were so easily entertained back then. <laughs> like, I mean, like, we're gonna kill this guy. Bro. Oh, look, bring out a body. Oh, parade it around. Yeah, right, pr- I don't know on. what that means. Are yeah. they driving it around? Are they making it mayor? Like, just fucking carrying <laughs> it around through the it. streets like those <laughs> fucking goalposts. <laughs> like, Grand Marshal of the ma- of the parade is a dead body. No Netflix, no HBO Max. So, yeah, yeah, this was it. Yeah, this was, was it. This and fucking. This and fucking, yeah. I thought I thought about I thought about this in the last episode too when they had the body on display and kids were coming out of school. I was like, we're that starved for things to look at. <laughs> no, no, uh, there was no like, video Friday, no movie Friday or anything like that. Yeah, no rolling hungover out the teachers. They were, hungover right. teachers were like, hey, there's a body that somebody's showing in the, in the town. Kids want to go. Four hundred pound TV. <laughs> Watch an old yeller for the 13th time. <laughs> and it's funny that the people were like easily distracted. Like, look at this dead guy. Hey, everybody. Like maybe making him yeah. talk. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Friday night, there's a dead guy being paraded. Let's go. <laughs> oh, I'm there, man. Kid Lowe then sent a letter to County Sheriff Dan Hardy demanding he release John Ashley. I have a letter. It says, <laughs> quote, <laughs> Kid, I, I just like the Kid Low name. I'm going to say straight up, like, Kid Low, it Kid sounds Lowe's dope. It's a great name. Kid Low sounds like he was signed by Kanye before he went <laughs> on Kanye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, back in the graduation days and shit. Like, like he rapped to him in an elevator because he had 30 seconds to, like, try and prove to him something. <laughs> it's like Touch the Sky featuring Kid Low. <laughs> Quote, dear sir. We were in your city at the time uh, one of our gang, young Bobby Ashley, was brutally shot to death by your officers, and now your town can expect to feel the result of it any hour. We're going to war with a town. 
And if John Ashley is not fairly dealt with and given a fair trial and turned loose simply for the life of a goddamn Seminole Indian, we expect to shoot up the whole goddamn town regardless of what the results might be. We expect to make our appearance at an early date. Word fuck okay. wasn't around back then, huh? Goddamn was <laughs> God the, ex- the extreme. <laughs> You know, I'm, I just, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I was disappointed in your fake Chicago accent. I know, I can't. I, didn't even... <laughs> Did I was going to go Jimmy Cagney like, Shay, sir, Shay. 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 Do it again. Do it with that voice. Let's just try it. <laughs> Let's try it like a Yes, yeah, sir, Shay. We were in your city, Shay. It's going to take forever. It'll take three weeks. So, the authorities got the letter... But they ignore the letter, and they put John on trial anyway, and the gang never did anything. <laughs> Empty threats, see? This is the worst gang ever. Worst, g- <laughs> worst gang ever. They called our bluff, fellas. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> Uh, in the end, however, prosecutors realized that it would be next to impossible to convince an all-white male jury in Florida to convict a white man of murdering an Indian. So they dropped the murder charges and went after John for the Stewart bank robbery instead, and it worked. On November 23rd, 1916, John pleaded guilty to robbery and was sentenced to 17 years in the state penitentiary at Rayford. Two years into serving a sentence, John was put on a chain gang. While out working with the other inmates in the road camp, John decided he would escape. So he and another inmate just quietly strolled away from the other workers. A few blocks away, they were met by Laura up the grove in her car. Up the grove was down the street. Uh, (laughs) Up the grove was down the street in her car. <laughs> got it? And they're that like, oh, owned, that she owned and could drive. There's no way those guys would fuck that up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, they got in their car and she drove them away and they got away safe. Again, the lax security is mind boggling. They just left. Um, <laughs> on January seventh, uh, on January seventeenth, nineteen twenty, prohibition officially became law in America. This gave rise to moonshiners, rum runners, bootleggers, and the mob. Hooray! So John decided the Ashley gang would get in on the action. Yeah. With Laura's help, they became moonshiners. Oh my god, this woman should have just run the gang. Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, They built stills out in the Everglades and used swamp water to make their brand of moonshine. Mm. Catfish shit should go well. This whiskey tastes like gator piss, and I shit for days <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> There's no liquid in my body. It was right through you. A business was booming, and soon oh. the gang began to grow in size. They even hired on members who knew how to drive. You want to oh. drive? You're in. Even though the lady knew how to drive. Uh, they used these members to steal cars to move liquor from one part of the state to the other, often stealing up to 10 cars a week, 
One day, while John was delivering moonshine to Hardy in Hardy County, he was pulled over by the local cops and was arrested and sent back to prison. <laughs> while John was serving time, the gang continued to moonshine without him. They began hijacking rival rum runners, taking their booze, rebranding it, and selling it as their own. Nice. Because their swamp water moonshine was shit. <laughs> John, John's. I would, I would have ch- like one shot of it. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> yeah, I want to curious. Let's see what it was like. So. John's brothers Eddie and Frank <laughs> soon started running liquor from the Bahamas to Jupiter Inlet and Stewart. Yes. Uh, but they vanished at sea one day in October 1921 while coming back from Bimini. The Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I would love to be in on a meeting of this gang. Just be like, yeah, okay. me too. <laughs> just quietly <laughs> listen to these guys come up with plans. Just like kind of aggressively and actively nod. We're going to get yeah, a boat. Yeah, that sounds good. And go to Bermuda yeah. and come back. And nothing's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should do that. <laughs> I lo- Wait, can I just throw something back real quick? I love how that when John was just arrested and just sent back to jail after just like walking away from the chain gang, it's like the cop was just like, "Oh, hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you got out." <laughs> Speaking of that, John once again escaped from prison. Ah, timely. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the door was left ajar. <laughs> little little is known about his escape, only that he, quote, vanished from his cell. <laughs> he never made it to the cell. <laughs> they actually never locked the back seat of the cop car. <laughs> yeah, it's just all this dumb. I gotta go to the bathroom. Oh, go ahead. You know where it is. <laughs> oh, damn, we did it again. Oh, that rascal. <laughs> All right, see the couple He's of a one. <laughs> they put him in the back on the driver's side. He just walks out the door on the passenger <laughs> side. <laughs> Same time next year, fellas. <laughs> so he returned to the gang and once again took over as their leader. John's first plan back. Why? He's return- dumb. <laughs> Get a better leader, fucking Ashley gang. Suck. <laughs> But it's my name, John <laughs> Ashley. I, um, am the I have an eye patch. <laughs> I have a glass eye, god damn it. John's first plan back was to return to the very first bank they had held up in Stewart to rob it again. Nostalgia. Genius. Go back to the scene of the crime. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> this time, this time, John brought his nephew, a teenage kid named Hanford Mobley, to help with the heist. John's plan to rob the bank was to have Hanford dress like a woman and hold up the bank. This is, these plans are so good. How do they f- keep failing? This is for real, like a Coen Brothers. Like, how is this not? This is amazing. Can we option this shit? Like, what is going Dude, on? Dude, I see. I, I <laughs> we could make some this. crazy shit out of this. So Hanford went in and came back out with several thousand dollars. It worked. I just don't understand what's the point of dressing like a woman. Like, it's, 
Yeah. You'll never know it's You still me. need to use a gun to hold up the bank to tell the tellers. You know, you still have to go through the whole thing. Why dress like a woman? Yeah, like telling the cops it was a teenage boy or a woman, like, makes no difference. Yeah, it makes no difference. You still got robbed. Fucking with him? We're just an idiot. This yeah. teenage woman held us up. And she was quite fetching. She was quite, quite <laughs> She had facial hair. <laughs> she had a little bit of fuzz just above her lip. But beautiful. <laughs> and so forget about it. It's fine. Let it go. Well, the success of this heist led the gang to 40 more bank holdups. Oh, it worked. Wow. In November 1923, they held up a bank in Pompano where they made their biggest score, $23,000 in cash and securities. They wrapped the stolen money in a bed sheet, then slowly drove around town in a stolen taxi while waving a bottle of whiskey at people and shouting, we got it all. We got it all. <laughs> these, these guys. I definitely want to hang guys. these guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is like legitimately everything I want in a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've gone like all the way around with these guys. Like. <laughs> Now I'm fully on board. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm exactly. Like, let's just roll. I was like, dude. these idiots. And I'm just like, no, yeah, dude, kind of they get it. I don't know. These guys get it. They know you tell your friends, what we're supposed to do. I don't get doing. it either, but they're kind of fun. <laughs> seriously, seriously, just give them a chance. Give them a chance. Get, get in the back seat of the taxi. Get in the taxi. <laughs> Listen, sit in the front seat. You don't want to get shot past. <laughs> just stay away from Kid Low. Kid low. Kid low. You will shoot your eye out. Kid low, see? Um, so before leaving that town, before leaving, uh, what was it, Pompano, John handed a bullet to the cab driver whose car they had stolen. He told the cabbie to give the bullet to Sheriff George Baker with a message from John Ashley. The message was, quote, we'll see you in the Everglades. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> an angry sheriff baker responded to this by swearing that he'd one day wear john's glass eye on his watch nice mm. interesting timepiece. yeah place to put the yeah it's a conversation starter what time is it nah, i don't know there's an eye on my watch yeah it's time to get a watch yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah Fucking stupid sheriff jokes. From there, <laughs> great book, by the way. <laughs> I've read it. I've read stupid sheriff jokes one and stupid sheriff jokes two. And you after, hear they're coming out with a three. After that, I, I think it's going to go downhill a little bit. From there, uh, the Ashley gang once again changed their way of operating. They went from bank robbers to moon. Well, they went from train robbers one time. <laughs> Bank robbers. <laughs> well, not really. Literally, uh, train stoppers. Train, train, train stoppers. Train stoppers <laughs> to train bank robbers. robbers to moonshiners, and now their new endeavor was piracy. They became pirates. The gang began intercepting rum runners off the coast of South Florida. Sometimes the gang would take money from the rum runners in exchange for not stealing their liquors, or like a protection racket. The gang became so successful at piracy that rum runners stopped doing business in Florida altogether. This put a dent on their pirating ways. So, one day John and his nephew Hanford stole a boat and led a raid against rum runners in the Bahamas' west end. They went to war. They went to 
ocean war yeah <laughs> in the bahamas mm-hmm. how, did they know how to drive a boat well it was like a skiff so they, it was like a ro- they rowed their way there oh, small boat they rowed to the bahamas in yeah. a skiff yeah <laughs> i love these guys are crazy man these guys are awesome <laughs> they're crazy but they're, they're stupid because they got there they managed to steal eight thousand dollars from four wholesale liquor warehouses what they later learned was that just a few hours before they left for their raid another boat carrying a quarter of a million dollars had left nassau just before they got there. oh man god damn <laughs> now so, we're rooting for them we're like fuck <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> these crazy idiots <laughs> i love this dude shit. their business plan is like all over the place like i'd love to see like what their powerpoint business looks like plan and <laughs> yeah, we're pirates let's we're bootleggers <laughs> we're fucking bank robbers i don't give a shit we're robbing trains what do you want to do today <laughs> i want to be a pirate okay right, let's do that's it. what we're doing <laughs> These guys are fucking nuts. This is awesome. I've never wanted to be part of a gang so bad. Yeah, a bad Um, gang. (laughs) They have a symbol. Can I get it tattooed on me somewhere? Yeah, get like a. Here's our logo. It's a moonshine bank robber satin jacket on the back. (laughs) Yeah, embroidered patch. Oh, man. So, um, yeah, so that the whole thing with losing out on a quarter million dollars bummed them out. So they stopped pirating and went back to robbing banks. <laughs> Let's just stick to what works, sort of. So dumb. In 1924, Sheriff Baker received a tip where John Ashley and his gang were hiding out. The tipster said that John had been staying in a moonshiner's cabin deep in the swamp, two miles from where the Ashley family had lived. Baker rounded up some cops and even deputized locals and handed them rifles. (laughs) He called on the Florida National Guard to supply him with more weapons. In the early morning hours of January 10th, Baker sent eight of his men to the cabin. They positioned themselves around the perimeter, rifles aimed at the cabin, and ready themselves to raid it. But John's dog began barking at the cops. One of the cops shot at the dog, and at this, John returned the gunfire. A shootout ensued, and John shot down and killed Sheriff Baker's cousin, Fred. Oh, Fred. (laughs) Fred Baker. John's father, Joe, who was... With John in the cabin was hit with gunfire, and he too was killed. Laura up the grove was also there, so she began screaming. So and much they all so- ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, up the grove in the cabin with the gun. Everglades in the cabin with a gun. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. So she began screaming, and she screamed so much that it caused deputies to hold their fire. Which gave John enough time to make an escape. <laughs> Nobody likes screaming women. Nobody likes screaming women. <laughs> that just throws everybody out there. <laughs> Everything was going great, but don't tell me. Don't say it. Yeah, the woman started screaming. God damn it. Where am I? What is this? Who are we? Run! 
every time a woman screams, I just become disoriented. It's total reboot of the brain. What is in my hands? What is going on? I forget my name. What I pee my pants. <laughs> what are we even doing? So her screaming fucked the cops over, and John was able to escape through the back door. Uh, Baker dispatched 200 men to spread out and search for John in the Everglades, but had no luck. Baker then had the homes of Joe Ashley and Hanford Mobley set on fire, and they arrested Laura. Uh, Up the grove, up the river. Um, <laughs> 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 he, he had to do it. He had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right there it was a fat one. It had a swing. Uh, John directly blamed Baker for the death of his father and was convinced the sheriff was the one who gunned him down. So he cooked up a plan in his head to avenge his father's death by killing Baker and then breaking Laura out of jail. But he went to California instead. (laughs) I did the same thing. What? (laughs) (laughs) So almost a year later, John returned to Florida and reunited with the remainder of the gang. He spent the next several months hatching a plan to kill Sheriff Baker. It was November and Baker was up for re-election, so John decided that They'd kill Baker at the Jacksonville courthouse on election day. But one of Ashley's gang's girlfriends, upset that her man had been fooling around on her, decided to call Baker and tip him off. Wow. Don't know who it was. Maybe it was Kid Lowe. Kid Lowe was fucking around. Um, Some bitch. The girlfriend also told the sheriff about a planned bank robbery the gang was going to pull off in Jacksonville. She told him which bank and where. She gave him all the details. On November 1st, 1924, the day of the robbery, John Ashley and three members of his gang drove to the bank to pull the heist. As they crossed the St. Sebastian River Bridge, they spotted Baker and his men at the end of the bridge, blocking the road with a chain. The car stopped in the middle of the bridge. Baker had his deputies approach the car. They ordered the men inside to step out of the vehicle. John, his uh, nephew, and gang members Clarence Middleton and Ray Lynn all complied. They stepped out of the car and were told to line up against it. The deputies searched the car and found several guns inside it. As the deputies were searching the car, John silently reached for a gun he had hidden in his pants. One of the deputies spotted John going for his weapon and opened fire. The rest of the deputies then also opened fire. John Ashley and his three partners were all gunned down in a rain of bullets. John Ashley was 36 years old. Probably. <laughs> God um, damn. That's the official story. Another version says that a witness on the bridge saw the cops had handcuffed John and his men, making it impossible for him to try and grab a hidden gun. This means that John and his men had been executed by the deputies. Moreover, according to the coroner's examination, there were marks found on John's hands consistent with the way handcuffs might dig into the wrists. 
Police have always claimed that the marks were the result of the coroner's examination of the bodies. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Uh, and this explanation was actually... He was grabbing him by the wrist. Real hard. <laughs> he was pulling him into the into the exam room. <laughs> he dragged him inside by the wrist. <laughs> The explanation was actually accepted by our coroner's, coroner's jury, and that was the accepted story. The remaining members of the Ashley gang were eventually captured or killed. As for Laura up the Grove, following John's death, she moved to the west coast of Florida. She opened up a gas station at Canal Point on Lake Okeechobee, where she ran a small bootlegging business nice. on the side. On August 6, 1927, a man approached Laura, wanting to buy some moonshine from her. The two began to argue over price, and while they were yelling at each other, Laura grabbed a bottle of disinfectant, mistaking it for a bottle of gin. She drank the disinfectant, and she died only a few minutes after that. She was 30. That's the way to go. Yeah. All told, some estimate some estimate the Ashley gang had made close to a million dollars in total from robbing, moonshining, and pirating. In the end, authorities were only able to recover about $32,000 of the Ashley gang's fortune, and a rumor began to spread that there are still over $110,000 of the gang's money buried somewhere in the Everglades. Over the years, treasure hunters have tried to trace the gang's comings and goings in the swamp, in hopes of finding the loot, but so far, no one has. Guys, and, I have uh, an idea. and that's the story of the John Ashley gang. <laughs> is, it, is that those guys that I see with metal detectors on the beach? Are they looking for it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're Dude, a long I way away. want to go there now. <laughs> Sources for this story. True Crime Flora, the state's most notorious criminal cases by Catherine Cole and Cynthia Young. The Ashley Gang and Frontier Justice by Richard Prosick and Weird Florida by Charlie Carlson. Up the Grove sounds kind of hot. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> my kind of gal. I feel like I would have had a fiery, fiery <laughs> relationship with her. Yeah, She sounds great. It's untimely demise for her. Right. She was a little too fiery. She grabbed this infected yeah. and drank some. Thinking yeah. it was gin. That's the price. I'm going to drink this. Oh, no. In the gray. Up the grove in the gray. Oh, no. Too many dumb jokes. Oh, man. The Florida Man Murders is a five-reason sports production. Researched, written, and produced by Chris Joseph. Music by Roger Rimada. All source material can be found by visiting floridamanmurders.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, kids, only assholes murder. So, don't be an asshole.